Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. It's the final four weekend, and we got a lot to discuss that. I'm talking to Brandon Marcus, my buddy from the Mostly Banner podcast, about how these teams got here, how Virginia won in that last second game against Purdue, Michigan State stunning Duke, or was it that big of a stun? We'll discuss that along with Duke's other struggles. Auburn, Texas Tech, first Final Fours in program history, and a lot more to discuss, as well as some NBA talk and the start of baseball season. It's Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, let's talk about a wide range of sports topics, including the Final Four where we're at with March Madness, host of the Mostly Banner podcast, friend of the show, Brandon Marcus. Brandon, thanks for coming back on the Money Mitch Effect. Always glad to be here, Mitch. Always glad to be here. What's going on? Well, it's a, it's a great sports time, and we're going to dive into a few topics. But uh, first off, i got to hear how, how the Vegas trip was. You were there for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and for one of the best elite eights that i can remember i really do think saturday and sunday in terms of the quantity of great games were were as deep as we've had in a long time for march madness yeah they were good games we uh were stationed up at the bellagio sports book for saturday and uh after standing for both games we decided to try something new on sunday went over to the cosmopolitan and actually got lucky um and like the row of seats that normally is for horse racing or something they have the tvs on them we just sat down and nobody made us move. So uh, instead of paying $200 or something for a seat, we got to hang out there for the entire day. Um, but incredible games. I mean, you you go from um, the Virginia overtime game. I mean, even that Texas Tech-Gonzaga game that looked like Gonzaga was trying to come and come back in that game. But Texas Tech had an answer every single time. And then Auburn-Kentucky, of course, which went to overtime. I mean, we almost had three overtime games out of the four, which is tremendous. And then, of course, that final game, which didn't go to OT, but still Michigan State holding on to that halftime lead and beating Duke. Um, some incredible games and also some very evenly matched teams, which made it so exciting. Yeah, well, I want to get back to one thing. If you just act like you know what you're doing, most of the time yeah. you're, you're fine. So, yeah, just it's sit true. down and, and, and act like that's exactly where you're supposed to be. So very, very well, better we there. Very that's better. what we did. <laughs> Very we ordered better. mimosa. We're like, all right, but games haven't even started. Let's sit down. Let's order a mimosa. Um, there are actually some high top tables to the left, and someone immediately is like, yeah, you got to buy $200 worth of food and drink if you want to sit here. We said, screw it. And so we uh, decided to go over to the little horse racing area, and what do you know? That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, you know I did think that the Sweet 16 had its had its walls, and that tends to happen. I know we, we talked about how there was only one double-digit seed. It was Oregon. They won the Pac-12 mm-hmm. uh, tournament to even get to the Sweet 16. And, yeah, there were some brutal ones. Texas Tech and Michigan really made my eyes bleed with that game. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really did. It really felt like we were, we were watching, you know, what we knew as March Madness, that Purdue-Tennessee game with the drama there where one game just has all those roadmaps and twists and turns. But, you know, the Elite Eight, and, and we could talk about how we got to this point and what makes college basketball exciting, but we learned we learned how crucial each possession is and how sometimes it really is just luck. 
Because Virginia, that game that I think a lot of people are going to remember, whatever Virginia does with March Madness, that is probably the signature game. Definitely the signature sequence of March Madness. And Brandon, Purdue did everything right. Like They did everything right. They had a little breakdown at the end on guarding uh, the guy by the basket. But you foul there, you get the rebound, it's a free-for-all. That has got to be one of the hardest losses to take. I couldn't imagine being a Purdue fan after that. And the blows that were going back and forth. I mean, Carson Edwards, it seemed like, had an answer for every single three that Virginia would make. And it was unbelievable to watch as they just went back and forth. And that, like you said, that last possession, I mean, he missed the free throw. And it took the ball to get knocked out all the way past half court. And the guy to immediately have incredible vision not to rush it. Because I would guarantee you that 95% of the people in that situation pick up the ball, and try and throw a half-court heave. I mean, that, that's what they do. Yeah. But he was composed and threw an absolute rifle to the right of the elbow, and the guy had a clean shot and made it. I mean, that's, that's what March Madness is, man. Didn't rush his shot. Uh, and, and really, you could tell Purdue was guarding the three-point. They were, they were playing up. They didn't want that half-court shot to sink them and, and, and cause them to lose. But unreal, unreal sequence. Carson Edwards was amazing. But again, when you play like that style, which we've seen in the tournament, you know, you're, you're taking a lot of deep shots. It doesn't look the prettiest. And in overtime, he cooled off, and that was the difference. It does suck for Matt Painter. Thought this was going to be the year after the Tennessee win that he'd break through. But on the flip side, Brandon, Tony Bennett. It was like a game of one of these coaches has to break through, and it was Tony Bennett. And for Virginia to, I know it's a cliche, but for Virginia to lose to a 16 seed last year and then make the Final Four the year after, mentally tough. That's one thing, especially as a one seed that was down at halftime in the first round this year, too. Yeah, it's not cliche at all. It's a great story. I mean, there are people that are rooting for them purely because they lost in the first round last year to UMBC, and they want them to do better this year. And it's very possible that we might have a one seed lose to a 16, and the next year they win the national championship, which is just absolutely mind-boggling, but is going to happen if Virginia can win two games. Yeah, this is their first Final Four, and I think over 30 years they've never won a final four game and then you have two teams that have never been here before as well so it is pretty exciting but Virginia getting there just just remarkable stuff the other game that took place on that Saturday was Texas Tech beating Gonzaga and that was and I'm a fan of these type of games so that was an old school heavyweight fight type basketball game you thought that that game was going to just be drag them out and it was the number one most efficient offense versus the number one most efficient defense but as always is the case, as often is the case in these types of games, Brandon, it was the defense, I mean the offense, excuse me, of Texas Tech that came through for them. I didn't know much about this team before the tournament, but I came away from this run thinking, man, Chris Beard can coach because he was pushing all the right buttons at the end of this game. Well, you're right when you said the defense because Gonzaga is a team that leads the nation in scoring, and they did nothing. I mean, they scored 37 in the first and 32 in the second. And for a team to only score 69 points, we're used to seeing them in the 80s and sometimes the 90s. It's wild. And it seemed like there were times where Hachimura was rushing shots and was taking some really bad shots. He still ended up with 22 points. Um, But it just seemed like they weren't getting the shots they wanted. And Texas Tech was rebounding the ball and forcing some turnovers. When they forced 16 turnovers, there was that stat they kept showing in the first half that Gonzaga, I think, only turned over the basketball, what, seven times uh, per game or something like that normally? And they just kept turning it over. And Texas Tech's defense was incredible. I mean, you're right that when we see 
in the NFL, for example, the nation, the best NFL defense versus the best NFL offense, normally it's actually the offense that wins out. But in this case, it's the defense. And Texas Tech played good defense, got the stops when they needed to, and didn't allow Gonzaga to come back. And two very good teams. And everyone wondered about Texas Tech because they beat Michigan in what was one of the uglier games we've ever seen in the Sweet 16. Neither team wanted to score for the first 10 minutes. And they're like, all right, does Texas Tech even have enough offense to score against Gonzaga? And it turned out that they did. Yeah, that that was the worst game uh, of the college season probably. I'll go that far. It was brutal to watch. We were coming down off that high of that Purdue-Tennessee game in Mm -hmm. the slot earlier. Uh, yeah, big big time performance. I loved watching Mooney play the guard for Tech. I think he he was just very clutch in key moments. They're very athletic as well. But Tech advances. Still talking March Madness with Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch Effect, and um, I want to say one thing in particular with all due respect to Michigan State, who we're going to get to in a second. The teams we just talked about. I think it's clear to me that the best run that any team's gone on was what Auburn's done. You could factor in the injury, but they just went through Kansas. North Carolina and Kentucky to get to the final four, their first in program history. I don't think there's a better run than any team's made so far than what Auburn's done. And not only that, but two of the three, they beat by double digits. So it's not a fluke at all. I mean, they beat Kansas by 14. They beat UNC by 17. And then they beat Kentucky by six. I mean, they are a team that just keeps getting shots when they need them. And it's fun to watch these guards, man. These Auburn guards are really good, and they get to the basket when they need to. They shoot the three when they need to. Um, Bryce Brown's really good. Amazing. It's an Auburn team that you wonder, are they just on a heater? Are they good enough? And when they face off against a Virginia defense that people think is good, will the Virginia D slow down Auburn? I don't know. I think that's going to be the best matchup this weekend. I know Texas Tech-Michigan State's a very good game. But just that matchup in of itself, an Auburn team that has just dominated versus a Virginia team that's the one seed and has one of the best defenses in the nation, I think that'll be fun to watch. Auburn's on the heater. Uh, it, it's hard to bet against them. Even with the injury, you really do see how good of a coach and how good of a recruiter for his system Bruce Pearl is. Mm-hmm. The other fun fact is, I mean, this backcourt, you mentioned Brown. Harper was the leading scorer in the game with 26 points. Yeah, He played in high school with Colin Sexton, so what a loaded backcourt that must have been. Just for, for Pearl to put these pieces together is very important. Overtime, how many other times do you think about this? I know you were there watching the game in Vegas, but they miss a buzzer beater at the end of the game and still come back and dominate in overtime. Just well, little mental things chance, like that. Yeah, didn't they have a chance to call a timeout and they chose not to also? Yeah, and it was a botched possession where the big guy, yeah. who I don't even think he scored in that game, took the shot. I mean, you had Harper just demanding for the ball, and – and didn't get it. He was frustrated. You could see it in his reaction. But for Pearl to get his team ready to go, I, I just think that is a – if you like Auburn, I mean, I, I've liked them in the, last, in the last couple of games. Keep riding them from a betting standpoint. If not, I would say stay away because even with the injury, this is a dangerous team. That Virginia game is going to be, you know, scintillating for sure. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against them. Uh, let me just put it that way. No, not at all. They're well coached. I mean, you mentioned it. And the funny thing is about the before that possession is that the possession before they called a timeout and they drew up a play that got Harper a layup. And so you wondered, would they call a timeout? And they didn't. And I thought that might bite them in the ass in overtime, but not the case. I mean, they ended up getting the shots they needed to. Kentucky couldn't score the ball. Um, it was crazy to see 
how poor Kentucky was at the free throw line. I mean, they just did not take advantage at all when they had uh, free throws, and it killed them because any momentum they got was then murdered at the line. Is it that crazy? Is it sucked? Is it that crazy though to see a John Calipari coach team shoot poorly from the free throw line in a big game? Like, no. is, is it that crazy? No, but Washington was six for eleven, and it I seemed know. like every two free throws he missed the front end and then made the second. I know, I know. Uh, I just and I know. Props to Calipari for gaming the system and getting a lifetime contract after UCLA offered him less money <laughs> to uh, coach than he's making at Kentucky currently. But how many times are we going to do this with him? I mean, he's I think sixty now. Yeah, one title every. Another, yeah, I feel like we're gonna have to do it. It's it's stupid. I mean, it, it really is. It seems like whenever a guy is successful, you wonder is he going to go to the NBA? And yeah, he's sixty years old. And why would he leave for less money? I mean, I understand that UCLA living in LA is a lot better than living in Kentucky, but I, I don't know why would he leave when he's winning? Well, I, I also wonder. If the Kentucky fan base is going to be happy if this is just what happens, by or less, for the next 10 years. Like, he puts together good recruiting classes that makes runs to maybe the Final Four, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. I mean, that was a very fun game, and, and then we ended, you know, the Elite Eight with Michigan State taking down Duke. Props to Michigan State, of course. They deserve the credit in this one before we get to Duke because... Mark, we mentioned Michigan State at the beginning of the year as being a, a, maybe a dangerous team. They were able to to throttle Michigan three times this year, own the Big Ten. The bracket came out. They didn't get you know a one seed. They got a hard two seed, we thought. But in the end, it didn't matter. And they were down late in that game against Duke. Crunch time, money possessions. Tom Izzo gets his team to the Final Four again. I came away just thinking that was a very polished Michigan State team and, and executed to perfection down the stretch. Yeah, and what a roller coaster it's been for Michigan State. I mean, we go from them winning the Big Ten tournament, them getting a terrible two seed, everyone that's a Michigan State fan complaining about it because they end up in Duke's bracket, to then the first round matchup where Tom Izzo screams in the face of the player and everyone's critiquing Tom Izzo and his coaching style, to now this team being in the Final Four. It's been a weird couple of weeks for Michigan State, but Tom Izzo continues to get it done and gets his team into the Final Four and is just such a good postseason coach. And to beat Duke the way they did, and you knew that they're going to have to do well in the first half because Duke is a second-half team. And Duke went on a run in the second half, but Michigan State answered it. And and kudos to them. They played really well. They limited Zion from going too crazy. Um, No one else really beat them. And this is a team that's going to be dangerous, and it'll be fun because I think Texas Tech and Michigan State are two teams that are built differently, but both very exciting to watch because of how they have got here and just their different styles. Yeah, that that game is going to be a war. I can't wait for that one uh, as well. I, I don't know. We we talk about Izzo a lot, and I don't think he necessarily needs another title for us to 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 say how good he is. This is the Izzo coaching performance, right? Like he gets players that weren't perceived as good, high-star, five-star recruits, and he takes them on deep runs and pushes them and makes makes it to the Final Four. I mean, this is his legacy. I think another title certainly enhances that, but the job Izzo does every year, there's not n- nearly as many, I would, say, I would think, NBA-type players that come out of his program, yet he gets the job done, and he gets his team peaking in March. Well, this team especially. I mean, how many NBA players do you think they have on their team? 
Mm. Uh, it's not maybe one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they're a team that plays really six guys. I mean, if you look at their box score from the game against Duke, 13 minutes for one for Ward and three minutes for Brown. I mean, and that Duke is actually the perfect matchup for them because Duke doesn't really play anybody off the bench either. And Cam Reddish was inefficient. He played 37 minutes and still was two, two for eight. And like I said, I mean, it was just Zion and Barrett. And when you don't have more guys contributing, when you get to the final four, sweet 16, elite eight area, you're not going to win games. And how disappointing is it for Duke that they're going to end up with three of the top five picks and they're not even going to get to the final four? I mean, is that a bad coaching job by Coach K? Or is that just running into a team that's coached by Tom Izzo that is more prepared for this type of march? Both of those things can be true. Obviously, there's no shame in losing the Tom Izzo team in the Elite Eight. But the worst coaching job, I don't want to say that anything like the game is past Coach K by. Coaches have bad years. There are bad seasons. This was his worst coaching job in my lifetime. And I say that because we both saw that game opening night against Kentucky when they destroyed that team. They got worse this season. I mean, there is objectively, 100%, they got worse. And, and I don't understand whether it was just not building the roster up, not having enough shooting, not trusting any players off the bench. Those offensive possessions, this wasn't just the Michigan State team that beat them. They could have lost to UCF. They could have lost to Virginia Tech. They had the game against Wake Forest where a, ball, where a shot rimmed out late in the season. This wasn't just a, a terrible upset. I, I almost struggled to even consider this a big upset. Because it the way Duke played upset. down the stretch, it's not that shocking that they lost this game. No, it wasn't an upset. The spread was two. I mean, and the halftime line was one. Mm. I mean, it was two teams that were very evenly matched. And for Duke, I think I'm, I'm making this up because I don't know the exact number. But I heard a stat that I think Duke was like one and eight or something in their last nine first halves. Mm. And that says a lot about their inability to get up from the tip and that is square on coach K to get his team ready to go. And it's crazy that a guy like coach K can be blamed. But if your team fails to do well in the first half and you have to continue to claw from behind in the second half, that's not a great look. Yeah. Barrett missing the free throw hurt. I thought he played pretty well. Obviously he's a stud. When we talk about Zion who had to basically carry the offense for large possessions this season, especially in the tournament, his marketing value obviously went up. I think Duke enhanced you know, and put him on the map more so. But you mentioned Cam Reddish. I don't know a player that I can think of off the top of my head that took more of a hit this year than any player in recent memory. Because there are times we didn't even notice him out there. There's the stuff about whether he was even going to play in this game. He didn't start, the, the knee issue. And I don't want to question a player's toughness without knowing the whole story. But didn't really have a good year, good college experience, and definitely didn't enhance his draft stock as I'm sure he hoped. No, and you have your postseason to really increase that draft stock. And if you look at his both his ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, nothing special. I mean, you look at the ACC tournament, he scored six points against North Carolina, 11 points against Florida State. NCAA tournament, he scored 12 points against NDSU, 13 against UCF, eight against Michigan State. That's not good. No. No, it wasn't. But Duke is out the dream team. It's funny how it's funny how these things never seem to work out. Isn't it funny how that these things never seem to work out? Yeah, it's always that case. I mean, it's in every sport. I mean, you look at the NBA, and you say, all right, no matter what, it's going to be these two teams. You look at the MLB, 
you any sport you really look at two teams and you say i don't see how this changes i don't see how this guy doesn't win the heisman something always changes that it does that it does well before we switch topics b mark how do you see this shaping out in the final four and uh who do you think cuts the nets down in minneapolis that's a good question um I think Auburn beats Virginia. Mm. Uh, I just, I think that spreads also five, if I'm not mistaken. I saw five and a half, but yeah, probably yeah. around that line. So Vegas clearly thinks that Virginia is the better team. Um, there's a te- when a team gets this hot and just destroys teams, they have really false confidence at times. And I don't know. It's weird because you wonder if the injured star theory type thing, one, if it's just a one game thing that you perform better with your guy out and Auburn loses their best player and they were very good in that game and won. but will they be able to do that against Virginia? I'm not sure, but I'll say Auburn wins. Um, and I'm going to say Michigan state beats Texas tech. Okay. Yeah. So I'll say Auburn, Michigan state. What about you? Well, I'm going to say Michigan state and I'm going to say Virginia, but I do like the Auburn point spread. I think that's, I don't think Auburn's going to be able to run like they've done at all this tournament. Virginia's going to play much better defense than they've seen. But I think if we're talking betting, I'm going to say the favorite parlay is what I like, Michigan State and and, uh, Virginia Moneyline, but also make that spread bet if it's five or higher because I think Virginia is a one-possession game type team. I really do. Yeah, and you wonder, the only thing is, if you're right and Virginia is able to slow it down, Auburn needs to get some fast break points and they need to get those guards on the move. But if they're able to clamp down those guards, you just wonder um, and you don't know what's going to happen. That, that's my only worry is that they shut down the guards and what's going to happen for Auburn down low. I'm going to say Sparty cuts down the nets overall. I like oh, them to do it. And I'm going to say... I think it may be a good value. I, I don't know exactly what the future bet looks like. It's probably about about plus 220 or so, I'm going to guess, right now. Yeah. I'm them to win it all. This is plus, just me guessing right now. Plus 75, I believe. Okay, not the best value, but still enough there to where, if you think they can win two games, sprinkle a little on there. Let's see. It's uh, plus 175. Virginia's plus 125. Michigan State's plus 175. Texas Tech is 5-1. to one. Auburn is plus 750 that was when the games ended so i don't know if they've changed at all okay well i'll also say my favorite bet of the week is under 132 texas tech michigan state yeah i I don't see that i don't see that being very high scoring at all maybe even under in the first half which is you know going to be coming out a little later on on a lot of places as well but that that's what i'm waiting at anyway but it should be fun in Minneapolis, uh, these four teams, all of them can win the title. Not any team's happy to be there, so I think we should have some good games. But all right, B-Mark, Money Mitch Effect. Let's switch to the pro game now because I haven't been following a lot of the NBA. I'm kind of just gearing my life up for the Final Four and the hockey playoffs about to start, but mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a couple things. Number one being, what is with this bad attitude, bad boy Golden State Warriors? Because every time I turn on the TV, it seems like a player is getting ejected. They're arguing with officials. Is this a new look team or a team that's just tired and, and kind of just over all the regular season? I think they're over the regular season. Uh, I really do. And, and despite everything that's gone on in front of them, they still beat Denver yesterday and they're still two games up on Denver and they're still in first place. And despite the fact they only have 53 wins, they're still at the top of the conference. And despite Boogie getting ejected 
and then Durant getting ejected another night. It's just the same old Warriors where you know they're going to show up in the playoffs, and they're just too good. I mean, you look at that starting five of Curry, Thompson, Durant, and Boogie, and Draymond, and you wonder who's going to stop them. And I just don't think anybody in the West is going to. In the East, maybe, but in the West, I'm not so sure. We do this all the time, and yeah, it happens just... a lot with the, with the Nuggets. This that's been this year's team, right? This has happened at least two times this year, maybe three. But I remember one in Denver, and then this game recently, where up oh, here come the Nuggets, challenging for the one seed. Are they going to threaten Golden State in the West? And Golden State, which by all accounts could care less about most regular season games, just gets up for that game and throttles them. It's just mm-hmm. this is what they've done. Uh, it's one of the main reasons I I hate betting on the NBA because you don't know what your effort level is going to be from night to night. But you know I understand that that the uh, the Warriors are winning and, and with winning comes a little arrogance and you're going to feel more confident in dealing with the referees. But yeah, they're over the regular season. They're ready for the playoffs to start. I'm just more concerned. I shouldn't say concerned. I'm more intrigued by what the seating is going to look like because we've had these teams pretty much clinched in the playoff picture for a while now. But Basically, seeds five to eight is just a coin flip. And the the team that on one end of the spectrum is just a disaster right now is Oklahoma City. It wasn't that long ago when I heard people saying maybe they're the second best team in the West. And now they're looking square at the eighth seed. So I don't know what happened other than maybe Paul George being banged up. But what do you think, B-Mark, happened to this Thunder team? I think it's part of PG being banged up. I think that's definitely a problem. Um, And it's just they only have like six players. So you just wonder, um, at this time of year when guys start to wear down, I, I don't know, like they're not getting much offensive contributions besides from PG and Westbrook. And Westbrook has been inefficient. He hasn't hit his free throws really all year. Jeremy Grant's been good. Adams is just starting to come on. He had some really bad games um, over a couple-week stretch. And I, I just don't know if they're good enough against some of these teams like the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Rockets. But it really is a toss-up um, once playoffs start because a lot of these teams, all it takes, obviously, is to win four games. And you could tell me that all eight of these teams are going to win a first-round matchup. And I would believe you, expect, except for the team that faces the Warriors. Well, that, I, I really do think that everyone has a chance. That's the thing. I mean, you'd like to see more urgency, especially from a team like Oklahoma City that's so star-driven by guys that haven't made the finals before. To not get the eighth seed, but they—I think they're what you know, six and nineteen or something like that in their last twenty-five. It's, it's been brutal since the All-Star game. Yeah. So I wonder. And, and Schroeder's the guy you didn't mention. He. This is who he is, right? He's a ball-dominant player that has hot streaks and has cold streaks. So I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not surprised by this team shooting themselves out of games a lot because the shooting isn't there and Russ is so ball-dominant that right. you have to take the good and the bad. Yeah, but the loss to Dallas at home. All that yeah. I mean, what are you doing? Well, I that, mean, that game, they, they, I saw some of that game, and they handled themselves like they were the Warriors. Like, you haven't won all these titles. Like, the Warriors lost to Dallas, but they've earned the right, in my opinion, as, even if we don't agree with it, to have a switch to turn on and off. You're Oklahoma City. You're in a case where you need to go on a win streak here, and that was a game you had to have. Yeah, it's not pretty. I mean, their final four, Detroit, Minnesota, Houston, Milwaukee. you got to assume – that Milwaukee's going to rest their starters in that final game, so that'll benefit them. So they'll probably, when all is said and done, they'll be the seven seed, and San Antonio will be the eight. Um, Pop was actually ejected, by the way, in the first quarter today. Um, so it's just, I think it'll shake out that way, but it's another team that maybe they know they're in the playoffs, they don't care, 
and they think that they're for sure going to be the seventh seed. I, I don't know. It's weird, and it's a team that has been to the playoffs and players that have been to the playoffs and a coach that's been in the playoffs. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but maybe chemistry is an issue. Uh, it's it's a weird season, man. It really is a weird season because we all thought that no matter what, it was going to be Boston and Golden State in the finals. Well, I mean, come on. And Boston, Boston is the my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always held out hope about the Celtics that, okay, they have Stevens, they have all this talent. Can they just turn it on? I, I can't do it anymore. I got to get off the ship. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's insane how bad the chemistry is and how, how terrible they're, they're handling moments of adversity. Like, I get sports are tough, especially at this level. We don't know what it's like to really be in the trenches and have to deal with this stuff every day. But I can't remember a team handle, that handles adversity as worse as this year's Boston Celtics in, in pretty much any sport. And they put themselves in a really bad spot because most likely they'll end up being the four seed. They're a half game back of Indiana. That's a tough series. That's not yeah, easy. That's going to be a war, you would think. I mean, no Oladipo. You wish Oladipo was in that series. But still, they've been really good. Bogdanovich has been unbelievable. Miles Turner's been a beast. Collison does a good job running that team. Thaddeus Young is solid. Sabonis is really good. They have two bigs that are going to cause problems to the Celtics. Luckily, Horford's a good defender for them. But you win that matchup, and then you face Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has what probably is the best starting five in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you can compare them with Philadelphia. Um, Toronto's really pretty good, too. Mm -hmm. But you you put these guys together with Lopez and Middleton and Giannis and Bledsoe and Brogdon if Brogdon's back. And that's a really good starting five. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the East playoffs is so fascinating this year. We're really looking forward to that. But I did want to ask you one thing really mm -hmm. quickly. Has this been the, been the happiest and most joyous Clippers season of your life? Yes. I yeah. figured. I only thought about maybe as a kid when you had the Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Quint Richardson. That was my favorite. Yeah, that was fun. my favorite. You knew they weren't going to win anything, but it was fun. I mean, but this team is just the exact opposite of that, where it's not star-driven, but they're just a good chemistry-driven team. Yeah, Miles, Maggetti, and Q. I mean, th those were the days with Ellen Brand, and you had Earl Boykins. I mean, it was a good oh, team. Yeah. It was fun to watch. I mean, they weren't very good, obviously. Um, but this team, I mean, I, I knew that Pat Beverly was going to be scrappy. But he has been just such a good leader with him and Lou Williams. Those two guys, for that team to buy in after losing Tobias Harris and not to give up. And they're going to be a problem in the playoffs because they don't give up. I mean, they'll kick your ass. And the Lakers, I have no idea what they were doing with that Zubots trade. That made no sense the whatsoever. Dumbest trade of the year. They by gave far. the Clippers a starting center. I mean, they have been unbelievably good since that trade. And they were the ones that made that. I mean, from what I'd heard, the Lakers were the ones that reached out. Like they yeah, started. the Lakers reached out to the Clippers. The Clippers said, sure. Jerry West yeah. left. God. Um, I. I Lakers season mixed with the Clippers has got to just warm your heart. It's it's really warming mine, and, and I'm it's, not even a Clippers fan, but just phenomenal set of circumstances in L.A. right now. It's Doc's best coaching job. It really is Doc's best coaching job. You look at this starting lineup of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and you see a guy now that's Landry Shamit that's starting. Gallinari's very good, obviously. Um, and you have Montrez Harrell off the bench with Lou Williams. Obviously, Zubat starting, too. It's a good team, but it's not an unbelievable team. I mean, it's it's solid, but they have guys that just they all play hard. And in the postseason, um, playing hard matters for something. 
And the bench is going to be shorter for the Clippers. They're obviously going to roll out probably just Trez and Lou. That's one of the things about them about that team is they're really deep. But it'll be fun to see them play against the Rockets. They're playing them tonight. Beverly's sitting, so it doesn't really matter because um, they're resting him. But can you imagine a Rockets-Clippers series going up against CP3? And the Rockets have all these guys they acquired in that trade with Trez and Lou Williams and Pat Beverly. I think Beverly might do something <laughs> that we might all. But Beverly whoa. on CP3, how fun would that be? Watch. I know, it'd be fun. I'd be worried that Beverly might be like, whoa, okay, you can't do that. But no, that you're right. That series is what I want to see happen. Great job by the Clippers. Great job by Doc Rivers. And, of course, the logo, Jerry West, helping to put together a team while yep. still building for the future. A trade with the Sixers is still just amazing. Amazing work by Jerry West. I mean, this whole trade season was great. The Lakers trade was great, and then this the Tobias Harris trade. They had to take it. They thought they were going to rebuild, but they still decide to compete, and they have. I mean, they have a chance, man, to end up with a five seed. Who would have thought they could end up with a better record than the Jazz? They should, they should probably just hold tight at the six, though. <laughs> no, I'd rather play the Blazers without. I'm just ner- saying, like you could win. You know, you could make a run to the conference final if you're not. Yeah, it's true. You got to face the Warriors in the second round. It's a good point. Yeah, that's why I always advocate for reseeding like the hockey playoffs and football, but I digress. Uh, last, Lastly, who's the MVP? I know we have two choices. Giannis. Yeah, now, there's no wrong – I'm going to say my piece first. There's no wrong answer here. If Harden wins, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be like, whoa, this was a mistake. Harden has had a great year, especially with Chris Paul out, getting the team to the three seed. It's been remarkable, but – Giannis is the best player on the best regular season team, and that should still matter. It mattered for 40 years until the year Russell Westbrook won the uh, the MVP. That should still matter. What Giannis has done taking that team to this height, he should be the MVP. Harden, great season, phenomenal, historic. He gets second place. If they were separated by maybe three or four games, it's a different story. But the Bucks have eight more wins. That's a lot of wins, and... The Giannis beating Harden in that most recent matchup definitely helps. I mean, you're right. Harden was unbelievable, and he's the reason why Houston stayed competitive during that stretch with CP3 out when he kept going 50-plus. I mean, he needed to do that for them to win. It was an unbelievable individual season. But I think Giannis, as you said, best player on the best team deserves the MVP. It's a tough year for voters. I fully acknowledge that. Harden has been amazing. But Here's a better question for you. Who finishes third? Wow. Who finishes third for the MVP? You can make a case that it's Jokic. Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. Because with, with uh, Kawhi missing time, uh, nobody really on, uh, on – I mean, then you go down to like the Sixers, nobody on that team. I mean, maybe Embiid is in the running too. Um, the Warriors, I don't think you're going to have a third-place finisher. Although, I mean, Steph's just been doing great things. Yeah, I would probably go Jokic. I'm, I can't. I'm struggling to find that third player. I know we said Paul George earlier this year, but he's yeah, we did. That's though. what I was. That's why I'm bringing it up because you and I were talking about this. And PG at the time was the number three MVP candidate, but dropping down to eighth, hell no, not anymore. Who'd you say, Jokic or someone else? Uh, I think you're right. I think you could say Jokic. I think that's probably the best option in terms of winners because the Warriors, no one really has stood out. Before Curry got out, got injured, you could say it was Curry. Um, but I don't think that he's been good enough to take over that mantle. Um, the Raptors, yeah, they're very balanced. I mean, Siakam's been unbelievable this year. I think Siakam will be a player that a lot of the world has not heard about. 
um, especially obviously the United States when they watch the NBA and the playoffs, that they haven't heard of him and they will know who he is after the playoffs. Um, but yeah, the Sixers, I mean, they still have Butler and Harris and Simmons. So I'm giving it to Jokic. Okay. Maybe Curry be the only one to maybe push for three in a year where it's a distant third. But yeah, I, I mean, one and two are just so far and above. But all right, this was a blast, Brandon Marcus. Before I let you go, got to mention baseball. We're both struggling right now with our franchises, at least out of the gates. It's not good. It's not pretty. We're one in five. Um, obviously, we being the Angels, and it's just not good. We can't hit a four-year-old right now, and it's it's not pretty. No Justin Upton. He's out for two to three months. Otani still has not come back. It's Trout and Abana Misfits. You have Justin Bohr protecting him. It's not pretty. It really is not pretty. The opening day starty, starter was Trevor Cahill backed up by Matt Harvey. It, it's not great. It's not great right now, Mitch. <laughs> Matt Harvey. Yeah, if we were having this conversation five years ago, I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem great. The Indians dropped to two and three today. The lineup is just, it's not good. Lindor's out. Jose Ramirez is coming back. You know, before Carlos Santana, another returning Indian, got a little hot the last couple games, the most reliable Indian in the lineup was Hanley Ramirez. Yeah. And the amount of texts I got from people saying I had no idea he was on your team is really, really funny to me and a little sad. It's going to be the kind of year with the Indians where I'm not ready to say worried about the Central, but it does make me feel good for any playoff push. I mean, it's not a given to win that division, and I feel like there's going to be so many wasted starts by this great rotation. I know Kluber got ripped up today, but Cleffinger, Bauer, I just uh, I feel like there's going to be a lot of 1-1 games going into the 8th. Yeah, it's really a bad lineup, but the rotation's so damn good that I think you guys will be fine. I mean, the Twins, I think, will be really the only competitor when all is said and done. I think they have a pretty good offense. They've got some solid pitching. Their bullpen's decent. But I think you guys will be fine. You're lucky your division's just so bad. I mean, with, with us, it's the Astros right now are 2-4. and four. By the way, do you know the Mariners are 7-1? and one? It's incredible, and it's incredible. I was going to ask you that all these top teams that we expected to be good and we still expect to be good are doing so bad. Red Sox, yeah, except Yankees, Brewers. Astros. Brewers the only ones that are good that are supposed to be good. I did say, to, yeah, no, you're right there, but I also – I was feeling as a long shot uh, MLB run. I think the Cardinals are going to make a run this year. Well, they've got good pitching. I I, I picked actually. I think I did um, the MLB preview on mostly banter. I'm pretty sure I picked the Cardinals to get into the playoffs um, and face off against. I think I said. I think it was Cardinals Cubs. It was either Cardinals Cubs. No, Cardinals Phillies. I think was what I said. Yeah. Nationals winning that division. I mean, they're two and three now, but I think it'll. I think they're a team to still watch because the Cubs have kind of taken a little bit of a step back, and, and the Dodgers in the West. I mean, we, we just kind of write them in as a division winner, but it's not a given every single year. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fun, fun, fascinating long season. What the Mariners have done, Oakland looking good, but for the Red Sox and Yankees, that'll at least cheer us up. Is that both those teams are playing so bad, and the Yankees striking out like eighteen times today. Yeah, and the Red Sox can't hit. I mean, it's it's weird. Some of these guys like Benintendi, who are normally really good. Betts has been fine. I mean, J.D. Martinez, normally he comes out with a bang. He has not been the same guy. Sale was awful in his first start, was not great yesterday. He gave up one run, but his velocity was down. I just don't know what these two teams are going to do. I'm more concerned about the Yankees and the Red Sox just because Stanton and Andujar both are big injuries. Um, and I don't still don't trust the rest of that lineup 
um, outside of Judge, and you still have Didi out till the All-Star break. So it's going to be a problem. Well, the Reds and the and your Angels have the few, or I should say the Reds have the fewest runs scored in baseball, 11 in five games. The Angels have played six, have yeah. 13. The same number that the Indians have through five games. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is, two of the three worst teams right here on this show in terms of scoring runs hopefully that changes I was also just one final note I was kind of intrigued maybe on the good side with some of these contracts we've seen in the recent days we all know how good Acuna is I mean he's amazing and the Xander Bogarts deal this is more what I thought market fair value was yeah and good for these teams for locking these guys up early because it's two things it helps these guys it gives them some assurance that they are going to be paid and helps out their family and avoids obviously the craziness down the road when you have to figure out how much you're going to pay somebody. And by locking them up early before that you reach arbitration, you get your young guys secured and it helps out your team and you avoid having to go down that road where you have to pay a guy $300 million because it's very possible down the road Acuna has worked 200 mil and instead you paid him 100 mil. Very good. Very uh, smart business, I think, on both sides. But, yeah, we'll yeah. see. I mean, we got a couple big contracts coming up. So Bryce Harper, oh. some early returns there in Philly. But how about He's Philly? been unbelievable. He's hitting 500. <laughs> the question is, when does Dallas Keuchel and when does Craig Kimbrell sign? I know. that That's scary to think as well. But Philly becoming the new most hated team as well, in, <laughs> especially in the National League. But How about that bat flip, by the way? Are you for or against it? I don't, I don't have a strong, I know it's kind of disappointing, but I don't have a strong bat flip take one way or the other. Mm, obviously, game, obviously like strike, game seven, get out yeah. of here. You don't, or no, game five, game four for them, just not necessary. That was personal. Like, that was, that oh, was what that was. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let the emotions go for that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, hey, strike them out. You know, that's kind of how I feel. It's kind of how I feel with some of the touchdown dances as well. You know, keep them out of the end zone, but. We'll see. All right, Brandon Marcus, this was fun. We'll talk again sometime soon, sometime before uh, I think the Browns start their quest to go 16-0. and We'll definitely get you back on here. How things have changed for you. The optimism. Oh, I love oh, it. Yeah, it's going to be it. I'm going to be oh, I'm going to be bad. I'm going to be overbearing as well. I just want to get my apologies out. Um, advance. I saw OBJ you're eight and eight this. staring right down your face. I hope you well, realize this interview is over. All right, Marcus, <laughs> this was fun. Make sure everyone out there checks out the Mostly Banner podcast. Brandon, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Huge thanks to Brandon Marcus again for coming on today's show, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Leave a rating, review, subscribe. Catch me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. A lot to discuss next week. We'll be recapping this Final Four, getting ready for the NBA playoffs, and also the main topic, the NHL playoffs starting next week. Cannot wait for that. It's still a grind with teams like Columbus, Carolina, and Montreal trying to get into the playoffs. But uh, we have a lot to discuss, man. That is going to be so fun. Can't wait for the hockey playoffs. The most grueling, taxing, exciting playoffs, in my opinion, in all of sports. We will be discussing that as well as the Masters coming up that weekend as well. I'm Mitch Michaels as well as the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep enjoying sports.